Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another edition of Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes real popular culture out there in all kinds of forms. It could be TV, it could be video games, it could be movies, or on this occasion, a game. And I reveal how it's influenced by real actual history that you'd find in a textbook and everything. And this time round, I'm doing my occasional podcast on Warhammer. And what I'm going to talk about this time round is how, particularly with Warhammer 40,000, the rise and fall of empires is a really important narrative point. And that obviously has a lot to do with, well, all the history is perhaps the best way to put it. So we will, of course, be talking about the other flavor of Warhammer as well, the Age of Sigmar. But it's it's a little less relevant to the points I want to make this time round. If you are coming to this because you like my occasional Warhammer ones, hi, welcome. Welcome, bienvenue. Welcome. You know, stay for the Warhammer. But you know what? You might want to have something about Rasputin. Or you might want to have something about Abba. Or Scooby-Doo. Or all kinds of weird and wonderful things. I particularly enjoy, you know, all of them, if you like, joyous and reinforcing my love of. I had a particularly a lot of fun with Robin Hood and spending a lot of time picking to pieces Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So I'm not always Mr. Enthusiastic and, oh, you really got to watch this. Sometimes I'm a little bit meh on it. But yes, I'm a big fan of Warhammer. But it isn't just a Warhammer podcast. It is worth pointing that out. Right. So, Empire. There's an interesting concept around empire about, you know, how do you actually define it? I mean, let's face it, there had been for literally centuries, for more than a millennia, there had been kings of France. And then Napoleon in the very early 1800s somewhat arbitrarily crowned himself emperor of France. What's that all about? What's it all about? That's a a different conversation. But generally, the definition of an empire 
tends to be a number of different languages and different cultures being run by a central authority. So if you like, what's the difference between being a king and an emperor? I think that's a pretty good place to start. And then there's the question of, in the modern world, can we consider anywhere as an empire? Empire is basically a dirty word. It is not something that people should be aspiring to do. And this is going to bring me on to another interesting idea, the concept of left-wing history and right-wing history, which I, I hate as an idea, but it does get you into a rather interesting conversation about how to view history. I do have a feel that if you're bringing politics into history, you're doing it wrong. You need to start looking into what actually happened then. I mean, I suppose you could have a pro-European reading of the Battle of Hastings in 1066, but that is ludicrously anachronistic. That was not what was going on. And a proto-EU was not the goal of William the Conqueror. But anyway, I don't like it when people try and overlay modern concepts onto the past. There is the phrase, you know, you're a stranger in a strange land when it comes to the past, when it comes to history, because yes, it's quite, quite different. But yes, let's, let's go to Warhammer. So I'll quickly go through why it's not about Age of Sigmar. So the two flavors of Warhammer. Age of Sigmar is the ye oldie worldy one. Bows, arrows, dragons, knights. It's far more fantastical than that, but it was clearly influenced when it was first created in the early 1980s by Lord of the Rings. Then you've got Warhammer 40,000, which first came out in 1987 and is probably, I'm going to say, definitely the larger of the two main brands of the company behind it, all called Games Workshop. And Warhammer 40,000 did initially take a lot of that Warhammer fantasy stuff and then basically strap on a jetpack and give them laser guns and things like that. I mean, literally, both realms have orcs and an orc with this kind of ramshackle sort of trike type thing that works quite well. Them having a rudimentary gun, that's not a sort of step into the weird and wonderful world. Likewise, having humanity, having space marines and things like that. There are lots of examples of that in literature, TV, movies, video games, etc. So, you know, these weren't necessarily huge leaps into the unknown, but quite frankly, spaceships, big robots, as some people have said, my local Games Workshop store, now called Warhammer store, said, you know, people come in and they do like the idea of the dragons and things like that, but then they look to the other side of the wall and there's a whole bunch of things that look like giant robots with mega guns and that just appeals to people more. So yeah, I get it. You know, I, I'm a big fan of both. One is not better than the other. They are different and I, I have a good time with both of them. But with the World of Age of Sigmar is... Mm, seven years ago, I'm going to say, roughly seven, eight years ago, they basically finished Warhammer Fantasy Battle. If you want to know exactly why, I did it in an earlier podcast about Warhammer, but basically it wasn't selling as well. They needed to streamline it. So they had this really exciting thing called the End of Days. Now, literally in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, there was something called the Empire. And there was also Britonia, which was clearly based on medieval France. And the Empire was based clearly on the kind of Holy Roman Empire, round about Renaissance era. And it was more fantastical. Again, things like people riding griffins and all that good stuff. But that all ended with the cataclysmic end times, which led us into the Age of Sigmar, which has opened it up into really fantastical elements and entire different realms and the realm gate wars and the necroquake and all this other good stuff. 
So yeah, it was basically an apocalypse that ended the Empire, the main Empire, the named Empire in Warhammer Fantasy Battle through to Age of Sigma. That's not what we're really talking about. What I, Instead, what I find fascinating is if we go to Warhammer 40,000, as soon as I say Empire, everybody, if you know anything about it, oh, Jem's going to clearly talk about the Imperium of Man. Well, yes, but there are other empires, and I find it really interesting. If you like, when things started in 1987, actually an awful lot of what they created then in the 80s is still here in the 2020s. It's incredibly well-preserved. And this idea of this gigantic interstellar empire of man, the Imperium of Man, that was there at the very beginning. The problem was they created this very sort of rigid law, L-O-R-E, and while it had already included Eldar, originally called Space Elves, the Orcs, as I've mentioned, the Tyranids are in the first edition, although actually what they show in the book is, is not what we would now consider like a Tyranid Hive Warrior or something like that, but something like a Termagant, I think that's the correct term. But anyway... I'm not going to get so bogged down into the details, but a lot of the stuff was there. You wanted to play, in theory, Tyranids and Space Marines or Orcs or Eldar Space Elves and so on and so forth. It was all there, except there were two new entire armies that they wanted to bring in. Yeah, over time, we would like some more armies, thank you very much. And this is something where Age of Sigma beats Warhammer 40,000 hands down because it doesn't have 35 years of lore hanging off it. They can make it up now. So they're constantly bringing out new versions of armies. There was an entire brand new type of undead army called the Ossiarch Bone Reapers, which were not just straight skeletons, they were actually constructed. And those just didn't exist in Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Everybody loved them when they came out. They're great figures, relatively easy to paint but also very very dangerous on the battlefield one of my sons charged me with the cavalry from that army and basically wiped out most of my army in one round because you just don't want to let them charge you is the secret behind that one bad bad things happen take them down before they can charge you need to get back to things. So yeah, they can keep creating armies, but the question has to be, well, if we've been writing about this stuff for, let's say, 20 years, how do we introduce the Necrons? So cleverly, the idea was the Necrons are an ancient race, sort of starting around about the time of Terminator, a kind of bit like Terminator. Let's, let's not go there. The Terminator's an infiltration unit, part man, part machine. But if you look at them, you go like, oh, that looks like a whole army of different types of Terminators, living metal skeletons. OK, and then there's also the Tau race, which is very manga-esque. They basically, a lot of the stuff they do, they fight in mech suits. Battle suits is what they're called, but they're mech suits, okay? They could easily fit into something like Gundam. How do we fit those two in? If they've not been part of the story for the last 20 years, where, where did they come from? So the answer is the Necrons are super ancient. So the reason why we don't talk about them during the Horus Heresy, which happened 10,000 years ago, is because they were all still dormant. It's only in the 41st millennium that they have started to wake up again, or people have discovered their grave worlds, or dug some of their artifacts up, which has reanimated some of them. Really clever idea. In other words, there is this 
ancient, ancient civilization that has just laid dormant, forgotten, buried beneath this relatively new civilization. I mean, we may think, wow, 40,000 years into the future, that's a really long time. But to the Necrons, they go back hundreds of thousands of years. So that's a really clever thing. In other words, the reason why we weren't writing about them is because they were buried underneath our feet when we were doing that writing. Clever, clever, clever. Then with the Tau, they are the newest, freshest race out there. They still have not created kind of hyperdrives, warp jumps. They're not able to expand very quickly, but technologically, tech for tech, somebody in one of those battle suits would be more than a match for Space Marine in Terminator armor, which is saying something, basically. But they've got a lot of tech on their side, but they're very young. Basically, when the Imperium Man flew past them 10,000 years ago at the time of the Horus Heresy, they were still, well, I mean, it would have been like flying past Earth 10,000 years ago. It's like, oh, well, they're just hunter-gatherers. They're, they're never going to create space flight. So the Imperium forgot about them. And then in the Tau's little area, they start to spread out. So one so ancient that they've been forgotten about and are buried underneath you, and the other one is so new, that's why we haven't talked about them, because they've only recently come onto the stage in terms of fighting the fight and pushing it up against the Imperium of Man. The Imperium Man, as I said many, many times, if you like it, it's had several peaks and troughs. But after the Horus Heresy, which happened 10,000 years ago in the LORE law, really the Imperium just is stagnant. And if anything, is is slowly decaying. It's just, it's so big. It's still the biggest, most major player in the 41st millennium, but its glory days are definitely behind it. The last episode I did on Warhammer was about sort of forgotten tech, which was partly about how all this amazing stellar technology that they had 10, 20,000 years ago, they're sort of half discovering now, which means that they're filling the gaps in with superstition and religion. It's like, as I said last time, the tank's broken, quick, burn some incense. Now we know that's not the right way to fix a vehicle. But to them, there is, you know, they talk about the engine spirit. There's the Omnissiah, the basically this sort of like tech god. So you pray to that, and maybe you also get a wrench out as well. No, 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 no. Come on, come on. Who knows? But the fascinating thing is they do, in the stories, they do a great job of this sort of feeling that we know the glory days are behind us, but we're not going to go quietly. Can we try and recapture some of that glory from the, the old days again? Can we prove to the world? I mean, yes, the fascinating thing about the Imperium of Man is it is basically the worst that humanity's ever been. But as I said, it kind of makes sense. You know, look, a Stalinist regime is a terrible regime. Hitler was also absolutely terrible and evil. But that's because they were killing other human beings and obviously stopping all the kinds of rights of anybody there. But if you have to stop the rights and not kill your own people, but just do everything you possibly can to try and kill a Tyranid invasion, which, as I said before, the Tyranids are kind of aliens in the style of the Xenomorph from the movie Alien or Aliens. In other words, you can't negotiate with them. You can't just fob them off with money or something like that, they're just going to eat you. It's like having a war against great white sharks. You know, they, they will just eat you. Fish are friends, not food. It's all right, I understand. Why trust a shark? That's the way it goes. So, yeah, we, 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 I'm sorry that your 18-year-old son is going to have a LAS rifle stuck in his hands and be sent off into the Imperial Guard to fight on the front lines, because if we don't, we're all going to die. We're all going to die! It's a really interesting, horrible scenario to be in. There's obviously a lot of, as I'm saying this, 
probably your brain is firing off going, ooh, that sounds a bit like this, and ooh, that sounds a bit like that, and I take your point, basically. Yes, I, I, I will be going into it. Not quite yet, because the other group that's worth talking about in Warhammer 40,000 is the Eldar, the space elves as they were originally called. Because if we've been talking about how the Imperium of Man has been sort of clinging on for the last 10,000 years, the Eldar have been clinging on for even longer. They were going way back, you know, perhaps a million years into the past, they would have been fighting the likes of the Necrons and their huge high fleets and also their, at that point, their own home worlds too. They had these incredible technology and art and basically if you're an elf you can live forever but they ended up getting bored and getting corrupted and they ended up creating a chaos god slanesh i kind of find that a little bit sort of hokey but anyway the point is that if we're going to sort of say well the imperial man has been lurching from one disaster to another trying to sort of like do a rear guard action against the decline of its own power for ten thousand years well the eldar let's stick in a hundred thousand shall we it's ludicrously long and and while the Eldar, in their prime, almost nothing else would have stood against them, but they are nowhere near their prime anymore. They're trying to fight for their very existence, which again is a bit like some of the civilizations that have existed out there. And I really find it interesting how this can this clearly has been influenced by a huge amount of history. It's, it's all kinds of bits of history, because empires, whether you like it or not, are the story really of civilization. This sort of coalescence, sometimes through trade and religion, communal similarities, that's great. And sometimes through slavery and violence and warfare and conquest. Remove your army from my land. I like your land. I think we'll stay. There's just no easy way around it. There's some very bad parts to our histories, but to sort of pretend that empire isn't the key goal for almost all all of civilization. It's really only when we get to the end of World War II, when we get the idea of a war of conquest being a bad thing, it took us till 1945 to work that out. Still just about within living memory. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So let's start with the very first empire. I think I have mentioned him before. He's called Sargon of a civilization called Acadia. And he ruled round about 2300 BC in the Middle East. Yes, the classic place where a lot of these very early civilizations come from. So Sargon is the very first person in history that can be called an emperor. And basically for the next 4,000 years, there have been emperors in all kinds of places. China has had one form of an emperor in one form or another for basically 2,000 years. We, th we think that the Roman Empire lasted a long time, but it, it, and it really did because, as I, I know I said this before, when the Western Empire collapsed, we talk about the Eastern Roman Empire as the Byzantine Empire, and I've already said that's basically the West insulting them, comparing them to a tiny little fishing village, which was the f basis of Constantinople. They always thought thought of themselves as Roman emperors. They called themselves the Roman Empire, even though they started speaking Greek. And the last Byzantine emperor was Constantine XI, who died in the final siege of Constantinople in 1453. That's, that's a, ridic a ridiculous amount of time. That's basically 1,500 years, give or take, since the time of Julius Caesar, who never actually took the title of emperor, but, you know, he was getting there. He was beginning to take down the Republic. So there are emperors everywhere. The other amazing thing that's worth remembering is in World War One, there was an emperor of Germany, a Kaiser, an emperor of Russia, a Tsar, an emperor of the Ottoman Empire, the Sultan, and there was a British emperor of India. There were four emperors fighting in World War One, And yet within five years of the end of World War One, only one of those empires remained. British for the record. And today, nowhere is going to call itself an empire. But is it? When you look at somewhere like modern day China, as I've said in the past, you know, there are a lot of debate. OK, and I'm really not going to get into the middle of it. Is Tibet Chinese or not? OK, I'm sure you have your opinions on that. But the point is they are running somewhere which speaks a different language, has a different culture. So yeah, that makes them an empire. And seeing they're covering the area, plus a little bit more than what used to be run by a Chinese emperor, then why isn't it an empire? Our land is at war by edict of his imperial majesty, the son of heaven. Every family must contribute one man to fight. Then, of course, in the far west of China, there's the Uyghur area, which has been in the headlines all over the place. These people are not ethnically Han Chinese. In other words, what you think of when I say Chinese person, they look more sort of Central Asian. They're Muslim and they're having a pretty torrid time in, in Western China. So, yeah, China is a modern day empire, but it would never call itself that. Then before you get too comfortable, America. When America went independent on 4th of July, 1776, which I've already said is a completely meaningless date and time, but you get the idea. It is always worth remembering that America became America with 13 colonies. In other words, 13 states. There's 50 states now. In World War II, America's flag had 48 stars. The other two, that would be Alaska and Hawaii, were put in after World War II. 
there are sort of history geeks out there who do sometimes see World War II movies where they've used a modern flag because both of those are squares. The thing about the 13 colonies is you can't put 13 stars into a square, so it was circular. And so, yeah, there's been all kinds of different patterns of the American states over the time. But there's this huge and important discussion about the history of slavery in America, and that is very, very important. But the reason why it gets such high profile is because there are so many people today that are descendants of people who'd been slaves in the past, millions of them, and they have every reason to be angry about it and want to discuss it and do not want to forget it. But the other great crime of America is America had no right to the whole of central modern day America. That was all bought in something called the Louisiana Purchase, where basically America bought it from France, because of course France owned all that area. Ask the local Native Americans and they will obviously tell you that France was always there. So yeah, and so on and so forth. You know, there's a place called New Mexico. Texas for a while was independent before it decided to join America, but that was after it seceded from the Spanish colonies. And yeah, New Mexico, funnily enough, did exactly the same thing. California. We get San Francisco. That's St. Francis. And clearly that's got a Spanish influence, which from so one empire get, it gets taken over by another empire. But because, and this is the sad thing, in America, America America is a land empire, just as Russia is. When we talk about people like, let's say, Ivan the Terrible or Peter the Great, they didn't own the whole of modern-day Russia. Places like Siberia were a long, long, long way away from places like St. Petersburg and Moscow, and very inhospitable land between here and there. It took them generations to conquer all that area, up to the port of Vladivostok, which, so, you know, they've got a basically a maritime border with Japan, and yet it was a European power. It might have been Eastern European, but it wasn't that far east. So all those territories, and immediately after the collapse of the Russian Empire, basically at the end of World War One, some of these areas wanted to become independent. Some managed to get there in the end. Places like, you know, the Stans, the Turkmenistan and Kajikistan and Azerbaijan and all these other places in Central Asia, they managed to become their own independent countries. But for a very long time, they were part of the Russian Empire. But in America, Sadly, in the 19th century, the American government with its army did such a good job of annihilating the local, the First Nations people, the Native Americans, that unlike the slavery side of things, there aren't millions of people today that are related, direct descendants of these people. And so, yeah, it doesn't get nearly as much coverage. And yet, at best, it's ethnic cleansing. At worst, it's genocide. But, you know, is America ever realistically going to give back the whole of Wyoming to a very tiny population of Native Americans? It's never going to happen. You know, it may be, in theory, the right thing to do, but it's never in any realistic way going to work, going to happen. And, you know, obviously, I've, I've sort of criticised the British Empire in the past, but, but the thing is this, in the modern day, there isn't really a British Empire. I mean, the Falklands, Gibraltar, is there that much to be singing and dancing about? But today there are countries that basically have this sort of polyglot multi-ethnic, multi-religious groups that we all now just assume are countries. Largely China, I think we can also put Canada in there. China, Canada, Russia, America. Those are the, because they are so huge, they clearly had to have been separate going back in the day. But what I find interesting is, look, we all know about the fall of the Roman Empire in the West, but what's interesting is there are some people who set it to the beginning of the end was in around about 180 AD, when there had been fight on the eastern borders of the Roman Empire against basically the Persians, and the Roman army got sick and came back 
and it became known as the Plague of Galen. And we think modern day science, obviously it's the problem with ancient chronicles, they didn't know basically what viruses and bacteria were. We think what that did was bring smallpox and measles, two highly infectious and pretty dangerous diseases to Western Europe. And after that, we do get regular outbreaks of plague and, and disease in the empire, which is always going to weaken the empire. But that's a long way. I mean, we're still talking centuries, but there can be very little doubt that it's much easier to find high points of the Roman Empire before 180 AD than after 180 AD. Rome has issued a final order for you and your men. And that's an interesting point. So this brings me to left-wing and right-wing history. If you're the sort of person who likes to focus on important key figures, regardless of whether they themselves are left-wing or right-wing, let's pick Joseph Stalin, clearly very left-wing. But if you are saying that history has been changed by very important people, then actually that's quite a right-wing way of looking at things. The left-wing way of looking at history is saying that, yeah, okay, fine, you occasionally get somebody who makes a big impact like Genghis Khan or Napoleon or Stalin or Hitler. You do sometimes get people who change the lives of tens of millions of people. But actually, the main thing that changes is society. Things like famines and changes to, to agricultural practices and obviously diseases and things like that. And it's these sort of like these gradual socioeconomic changes that are far more impactful than any one battle. And you know, I think the reality is I don't like the idea of saying that it's left wing or right wing because clearly there are situations where the Black Death in the 1340s Big, big deal. Very big deal. But also, at that same time, we've got King Edward III of England, who had started what has now become known as the Hundred Years' War. It was no such thing. But if he hadn't done that, then things would have been very, very different. And if you look at it from the point of view of France for a moment, in 1346, France has a massive defeat at Crecy. It's a battle. It's an important battle. It's for all kinds of cultural reasons in England, but for political reasons in France, they just lost the cream of their crop. Sacre bleu! Invaders! Then just two years later, a lot of the aristocrats died at the Battle of Crecy, but some of them survived. But then just two years later, the Black Death slams into France, and England as well, but England hadn't lost as many nobles in the Battle of Crecy, so now France has lost even more of their nobility. Bring out your dead. Here's one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. And then in 1356, Edward's still alive, but he's busy doing something else. But his son, the Black Prince, he kind of gets cornered at a place called Poitiers. And in 1356, he fights a battle against the French army and not only wins when he's heavily outnumbered, but also manages to capture the King of France. And he gets put in prison with the King of Scotland because it's been going that well for the Edwardian dynasty, the Plantagenets technically, at that time. So you can see that France is absolutely reeling. They're now going to have to literally pay a king's ransom just a few years after, well, with a majority probably of aristocrats that should be alive. I mean, other family members are filling the gaps of being Duke of wherever and Count of whatever. You know that I am called the Count. But the point is, the original ones, the ones that perhaps they had the most experience and best chances to run their estates, they're all dead, either through battle or through plague. And so you can't, you cannot understand the 1340s and 1350s in Europe without understanding, let's call it, left-wing history of the Black Death, which was 
probably the biggest event that ever happened in European history. Between a third and half of all of Europe died. That's a pretty big deal. But you also can't deny that you have to talk about Edward III, the Black Prince, these various key battles. There are loads and loads of battles. I would encourage you to try and find maybe a Wikipedia page or maybe a US Civil War reenactment page of how many battles were there in the US Civil War. Because it's weirdly loads. Hundreds. So clearly not all of them had the same impact as Shiloh or Gettysburg, for example. There were clearly an awful lot of Antietam. Those three are really important battles to understand the ebb and flow in the war. But the other 150 from the, you know, sometimes it was little more than rude shoving between a couple of hundred of people. So clearly battles in and of themselves aren't a big deal. And what I've always found interesting about the powerful people is Charlemagne. So Charlemagne's an amazing person, means literally Charles the Great. For pretty much the most of the 19th century, there was an argument between France and Germany about was he French or was he German. As Again, it's one of these anachronistic things. He wouldn't have thought himself as either. He saw himself as a Frank. He basically ruled most of France most of Germany and a large chunk of Italy as well. And he was crowned emperor. He was the first person in Europe to be, in Western Europe, to be crowned emperor since the time of the Roman emperors on, and this is a date you'll never forget, December 25th, 800. Really easy date to remember. Christmas Day, 800, he gets to become Emperor of the West again. Hurrah! And it's sort of like his family that starts the concept. He is not the first Holy Roman Emperor, but he's the person who accidentally lays down this idea of, we can can be an independent empire from those snooty Byzantines over there. But the point is this, I mean, he had more power in France, Germany, and Italy than anybody had till the time of, let's let's say in the 300s. So he's the most important person in Europe for 500 years. But what I found interesting when I was studying him, both at, at A-level and also at university, is even though he had these vast resources and he was a very keen legislator, even he couldn't bind everything together. You can't stop stuff happening. So on that point, I would say that the left wing, and I'm doing these things in inverted commas, has a point. You look at COVID, for example, you know, just look at it today. Prior to COVID, whatever you may have thought of Donald Trump, just nothing stuck to him. You know, none of the scandals, none of the things he said on a hot mic, various botched attempts at various things, crises, etc. Nothing slowed him down. So in January of 2019, it was obvious that he was going to get re-elected. The economy was doing pretty well. Everybody felt relatively comfortable. There may have been a certain amount of appallingness about him. You are fake news. But he had enough people backing him. And if you like, and generally, if you look at democracies, if the economy's doing okay, nobody wants to rock the boat. And the, whoever, be it left wing, right wing, whoever's in power will, will likely win the next election. So it all looked game on for Donald Trump. But then a little virus came from Wuhan, which is a town that none of us had heard of before COVID, came from Wuhan and then spread around the world. And then Donald Trump couldn't ignore it. He couldn't sass it. He couldn't give it a nickname. He couldn't sort of convince everybody it would be over by April and disappear like a miracle and so on and so forth. He had nothing to counter this stupid little virus and he ended up losing an election because of it. Fake news. Now, I'm aware that there's some people who think that he didn't lose an election and that led to all kinds of stuff happening. But it's an example where COVID 
is a bigger story than Donald Trump. Just is. COVID's killed more than 5 million people at the time of recording around the world. It's coming up to 850,000 deaths in, in America, which makes it the single most lethal event in American history. Now, I'm aware there's a much bigger population today than, let's say, during the US Civil War, but it's an example of how, no matter how powerful you are, no matter how big your army is, no matter how widespread your lands are, you will never be able to control everything. This is the irony. There will never be a world empire, one person, one emperor or empress in charge of the whole of planet Earth. Just not possible. There's too many people vying in too many different... And even if you did manage to get somehow political consensus between... Can you imagine trying to get China, Australia, America and France to agree on anything. Those four countries have, do not have a lot in common. So yeah, I mean, just, just those four countries would have difficulty agreeing, but getting all 200 countries, give or take, in the world, even if you did manage to do that, then suddenly you've then got a typhoon that wipes out Shanghai, or you've got an earthquake that sinks most of Los Angeles or something. And, and you know, you just can't keep it all together. You can't have the whole world, Agamemnon. It's too big. Even for you. And I find it fascinating that no matter how big an empire is, no matter how strong it is, it always falls. You look at somewhere like the civilization of Egypt, that it may have had different dynasties, it had more than 25 dynasties, and yet it lasted as a civilization for over 3,000 years, but was basically absorbed into this new civilization called the Roman Empire. And this is a little bit like the Tao. People say, oh, well, they're the new guys on the block. You know, they're so tiny compared to the Imperium. Well, they're relatively small now, but they're still expanding. They've still got the momentum. They, they're, they're looking for, they've got the energy of one of these expansionist early empires. This is Tao back in Warhammer 40,000. Whereas something like the Imperium of Man, or, or even like, it, it, I've always thought that the Eldar, because they're just hanging on and hanging on almost against the odds. It reminds me of the Byzantine Empire about how really by 14, 53, how can you possibly consider yourself Roman? And yet, you know, with the Eldar, how can you possibly consider yourself, you know, powerful when everybody else runs basically the galaxy and you guys are just in your high fleets tootling around the, the, the galaxy? So yeah, I find all this stuff really fun to, to look into and do a comparison. So there we go, empires. Hope you enjoyed that. As always, I'm at Gemdaduchu on Twitter. You can say hi to me. Got over Christmas, I got lots of people sort of saying, and in the New Year, people sort of giving me some ideas sort of like catching up on it I guess over the sort of the, the Christmas lull thank you very much for that if you've got any ideas you can you can grab me there please put out a review that'd be lovely if you could do that thank you and obviously click subscribe and do all that other stuff yeah but putting out reviews really helps people find us so that would be really useful if you could do that thank you very much and another episode coming soon Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.